Got your Bible, turn to it, John chapter 5. If not, well then perhaps you can look on with someone else or maybe you can just uh, be reasonably attentive and you'll see that we're going to quote from the Word of God today. Before we start all that, I want you to look up. I want you to look at a miracle. (laughs) Now you might immediately think, well of course I can see his good looks, that's what he's talking about, or his super intelligence or maybe his amazing sporting capacity or something like that or how he's wonderfully retained his youth over the years maybe didn't think of any of those things at all perhaps you thought about how the Lord might have protected him maybe he was thinking about that the miracle of protection over the years actually I was just thinking about uh, the miracle of life Look to the person next to you. If you don't like that, get a mirror out and have a look into that. (laughs) The miracle of life around us all the time and indeed in us. How many have been present at a birth? What about the rest of you? (laughs) Where'd you come from? We'll have a talk to you folk a little later. <laughs> well, maybe it's just you couldn't remember your own birth. Uh, the, the modernists tell us that some of those experiences are rather nasty and it affects our rest of our life and how we were born and, and all the things they did to us and, and so on. The sudden shock of it all never leaves us or whatever. But I think most of us have at least been reasonably close to a newborn baby at some stage or other. And uh, it's an amazing thing. We hold this 55 centimetre, 7 pound, 12 ounce creature in our, in our hands. Carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, hydrogen, manganese, calcium, iron, potassium, protons, neutrons, electrons, just like any other bit of 7 pound 12-ounce matter that you can put in your hands, except there's something amazingly different with this lump bundle in your hands as compared to all the other stuff around you. And that difference you can't analyze chemically, that difference you can't weigh, that difference you can't put under a microscope, and yet that difference makes all the difference. It's still the same basic materials. All the subatomic particles are there, but something is amazingly different. This bit of material is alive. This bit of material has the miracle of life, the mystery of life, which the world still doesn't fully understand. King David, when he was pondering the miracle of human life, he wrote, I will praise thee, this is to God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, marvellous are thy works. And we are made up of an amazing number of cells and bits and pieces, 
all harmoniously joined together to make this working model, this brand new model that comes off the, the factory line, as it were, but totally unique and totally separate, separate from all the other billions that have come off the production line. And it wasn't just put together by the institution of man. Somehow or other, all of these things came together and the miracle of life put it together. I've got a few quotes here, some of the astonishing facts about our human body. The adult human body contains approximately 650 muscles. As you get older, some of them don't work, and when they do work, it hurts. <laughs> Over 100 joints, 100,000 kilometers of blood vessels, 13,000 million nerve cells. An adult has 206 bones, nearly half of them in his hands and feet. A baby has 300 bones at birth, but 94 fused together during childhood. The human bone is as strong as granite in supporting weight. A block the size of a matchbox can support nine tons, four times as much as concrete. The heart beats more than 2,000 million times during the average human lifespan, and in that time will pump around 500 million litres of blood. One drop of blood, no bigger than perhaps one of the letters on your Bible in front of you, contains five million red blood cells, one drop of blood, and 5,000 white blood cells. The lung contains a total of 300,000 million capillaries, tiny blood vessels, which would stretch from here to Perth. That's not bad, end to end. The body has an average, the average adult contains 45 litres of water, about 65% of his weight. The stomach's digestive acids are strong enough to dissolve zinc, but the cells in the stomach lining are renewed so quickly, 500,000 cells are replaced every minute, and the entire lining every three days so that the acids do not have time to dissolve the lining. I'm glad of that. <laughs> the body's largest organ is the skin. In an adult man, this is an average adult man, it covers almost two square metres, about 20 square feet. Some's got to go a little further than others. The skin is constantly flaking away and being completely replaced by new tissue every, about once every 50 days. On average, each person sheds about 20 kilograms of skin during his lifetime. The focusing muscles of the eye move about 100,000 times a day. To give the leg muscles the same exercise would involve walking 80 kilometres a day. The retina inside the eye contains 137 million light-sensitive cells, 130 million rod cells, for black and white vision, and 7 million cone cells for colour vision. On average, both men and women have a total of about 5 million hairs on their body. Again, some a little more, some a little less. The average brain contains about 10,000 million neurons, microscopic nerve cells. Each neuron is linked to neighbouring neurons by up to 50,000 connections. 
Now, according to uh, some people's uh, mind, uh, this all happened by chance. That over a period of time and given enough time, anything can happen, so they claim, which is not true. But that's a, a cop-out by those who recognize that this is a pretty complex system we're working with here. And we need lots of time, billions and billions of years, but even that isn't sufficient. It doesn't work that way. You look at yourself in the mirror and are looking apart from perhaps some of the receding hairline and some of the gray hairs and, and some of the wrinkles, you're still looking at a miracle. You're still looking at something that's been wonderfully made. We're looking at human life. We're looking at the miracle of life. But it's not just about human beings. That's obvious. But you can take anything around you. You can take, for example, a pile of wheat and right next to it a pile of sand. And uh, they've uh, uh, got a number of similarities about them, perhaps by the look of them. And you can just hold them in your hand and they just uh, perhaps drain through your fingers both the grains of wheat and of the sand. And as far as you're concerned, and to all intents and purposes, we've just got some dead matter that just falls through your hands and falls to the ground again. But you take the grains of wheat, and you can do this after hundreds of years, you take the grains of wheat and you dig a little hole in your backyard, in the earth, and you cover it over lovingly, and you put some water on it and the rays of the sun just warm it all up and suddenly what was dead is now very much alive. What happened? Where was it? Where was it hidden in the grains of wheat? Could you dissect the wheat and find this spark? Could you take it afterwards and, and say, I've got you, life. I'll put it in a bag and I'll take you away somewhere other. The mystery of life. In the book of James, we're asked the question, what is your life? But we would generalize that and would say, what is life? One dictionary said, life is the state of being alive. That condition in which plants and animals exist with capability of exercising their normal functions. That's not a definition, obviously. That's just a statement. The World Book Encyclopedia says, life is one of the greatest mysteries of the universe. It has no simple definition. Philosophers and other scholars have pondered the meaning of life since ancient times. With the dawn of science, men began to study the different kinds of organisms, of living things. They learned how they grow, what conditions they need to live, how they respond to their surroundings, how they reproduce. They classified living things as either plants or animals. Scientists have built a tremendous storehouse of knowledge about living things, but they still cannot say what life itself actually is. The Bible tells in some places what it is not, the Bible says that your life is not in the abundance of the possessions you possess. The Bible says it's not in meat and raiment. These are identifiable things. You can take your teddy bear and you can dress it all up in the finest of raiment and you can stuck a, a stick of pork chop in front of it and leave it all night but come back in the morning. It'll still be 
a fluffy teddy bear without life. And you can dress up your lounge room and you can get the finest of upholstery on your lounge suite and you can get the best stereo system in the world and you can accumulate all the fineries in your lounge room, but it's dead neutrons, protons and electrons and it'll never come to life. So all of those things are not what life is about. Let's have a look in 5, John 5 where we are, and verse 26. John chapter 5 and verse 26, For as the Father hath life in himself, the Father has life in himself. Only the fool says in his heart there is no God, for if there is no God, there is no life. But we know there is life. You can wave at me. Don't. But you can. You can. You're animated. The very qualities of life are there. You can of your own self be animated. You can reproduce. You can grow. Even when you're getting older, you can still grow. Perhaps not where you want to, but that still happens. And the infinite varieties are there. And the amazing mystery of life is that you can take inorganic material like pavlova. And you can take a lot of it and you will see the results of how your body turns inorganic pavlova into organic material. <laughs> That's the way of it. How is that possible? It's the mystery of life. Life is to do with these things. And where's it come from? For as the Father hath life in himself. One translation says, For the Father being as he is the source of life. God is the essence of life. The Amplified says he is the self-existent one. Many people say to us, where did God come from? He didn't have to come from some, somewhere because God is life. He is the I am. He is the self-existent one. Maybe we can't comprehend that because, you see, we had to be animated. We had to have the breath of life instilled in us. We were just flesh and blood. We were just hunks of meat. That's all we are. And you can dress it up how you like. That won't give us life. We've got to have something permeate our cells. Millions, trillions of cells in your body, all alive, all functioning, all destined to do their particular job. DNA, RNA molecules, all performing as they're supposed to, hopefully, in your body. How is this possible? What makes these things animate? What makes these things function, exist? Here it is. For as the Father hath life in himself, he has it within himself. He is the spark of life. He's the essence of life. He is life. And outside of him there is no life. And when he chose to move by his spirit through his son upon the face of the waters, he animated this world. He took lifeless neutrons, protons and electrons and, and other things there too as well. And somehow or other, with his capacity and ability, he made you and I to listen to talk, to think, to reason, to have hopes, to have aspirations, to have desires, to have faith in God. And they would have us to believe that sometime in the past uh, there were some uh, subatomic particles and uh, nothingness and all of a sudden out of that we, we produce some hydrogen. 
which was converted to some helium or something or other, which was converted into whatever and came to you and I. You and I are the product of chance, subatomic particles happening to be fused together in some way or other. No, you can do all that to your heart's content in the test tubes of any laboratory and you will not give it the spark of life. Or they're produced to some, something like amino acids and so on, but it doesn't talk to you. It doesn't jump out of the test tube and run away. It might bubble over the top, but it's not alive. Only God can give life. For as the Father have life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. He's passed on, he's one with, of course, the Son. And that life that's in God is in Jesus Christ. And that's why, of course, we've got to identify how we're going to live today. If you're going to live by that which is part of your body, then we're going to die along with our body. We've got to have life that's animated for eternity through the Father via the Son. Let's go over to uh, Acts chapter 17. In Psalm, I think 39, it might be, it might be Psalm 36, it says, For in thee is the fountain of life. Acts chapter 17 is the time when we read that uh, Paul uh, came to a group of people in Greece verse 22 he said then Paul stood in the midst of Mars hill and said ye men of Athens I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious you're given over to a lot of religious worship for as I passed by and beheld your devotions I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him declare I unto you God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, as though we could sort of impress God, and we make some sort of a fantastic building, and we go through some ritualistic process, some ceremony, and we get all dressed up in the fineries, and we got ornate altars, and we're just displaying our wares to God, as if God was going to be impressed. God, who is life, looks at the dead objects of our devotions and would be deeply troubled. For it's you and I he wants... And it's not the flesh, it's the soul. It says here, neither is worship with men's hands as though we needed anything, seeing he gives to all life and breath and all things. He is the author of all of that. He is the instigator. He is the originator. He is the genesis of life. Without him, there is no life. And how dare this world just carry on as if they are the product of their own hands. We are here today by the grace of God. You are alive today by the grace of God. But more importantly, you live forever, not by the life that's in your flesh and blood, but by the life that's in God through his son, Jesus Christ. Forever. That's the promise. And they can take away the neutrons and the protons and the electrons and they can scramble them all up and do what they like. We're going to a realm which is not uh, in any way subject to the elements of this world. 
We're going to a realm, maybe very soon, where you've got to be animated today by the Spirit or you don't enter in. Straight is the gate, narrows the way, specified, predetermined, that leads to life. The Bible talks about two different sorts of life. The Bible talks about the life that we have today. The Bible says if you want to save your life today, you'll lose the life to come. If you want to lose your life today, you'll save the one to come. What's it talking about? It's talking about our lower, our temporal, our fleshly life today. If we have our hopes and securities bound up in this, if it's the abundance of things we possess, if it's relationships, if it's travel, if it's cars, if it's work, if it's boys and girls, if it's uh, the material elements of this world, if we're clinging on for security, we'll lose it. We'll lose everything. The Bible says we've got a higher life. We've got a spiritual life. We've got another realm to go to. And the Lord's giving us a touch today just in your own natural bodies, the Bible's telling us, as it were, well, you've been born, you've experienced the miracle, now be born again to experience the greater miracle, what it's really all about. You've experienced the miracle because you're alive. You're able to, to do the things that is so wonderful in our bodies. How much more alive in the new realm to come. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Amplified says in brackets after that, Christ. In the beginning was Christ, the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word Christ was God himself. For many people today in various organizations, that becomes rather difficult to cope with. Not for us. Perhaps we don't fully understand uh, the manifestations and the complexities of, of the Godhead, but we know it's the very essence of life. And in the beginning, there was life. There was the bread of life. There was the light of life. There was uh, the resurrection of the life. There was the way, the truth, and the life. There was the word of life. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Nothing is capable of anything without Christ, without God uh, being uh, present within it. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. In Jesus Christ is the life. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not, just like our brother Ben was saying. But tragically enough, uh, that even though we might feel that we're alive, and even though we might feel that uh, we've got great capacities and capabilities and so on, really, we're in a different realm. This is a, a taste of life, but it's not the eternal life, the spiritual life the Lord has in store for us. This is attached now to cells and tissues and bones and muscles, and ligaments, neurons. The Lord will just take that away from the body. He wants to animate our soul and clothe us again with immortality and give us a new realm altogether. In First John it says, talking about eternal life, 
and this life is in his Son. And he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God does not have life. So we're obviously beyond just the miracle of this life, and it is a miracle. The natural life, the things that makes trees grow, the things that make the plants beautiful, the things that make lovely little pussycats and your birds sing and your little puppy running around the house becoming a nuisance. All the things around us, we're just surrounded by God. We're surrounded by the essence of life. We're surrounded by his beauty. We're surrounded by his majesty. We're surrounded by his power and capacity only the fool says in his heart there is no god the rest of us we rejoice and we can sit on a mountaintop and and we can see a tree and we can look up to the universe and we can see god we know whom our creator is and we know what we've got in this physical body but of course you and i who were born are born to be born again let's go to john chapter 3 Don't apologize, this is what's life all about. There was a man of the Pharisees, verse 1, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. As far as his own natural, natural standing was concerned, he probably had everything going for him. But rather interesting, it says in Galatians, if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. You can't pass laws to give life. You can't abide by laws to get life. The Old Testament didn't give us life. It highlighted our death. It highlighted our inadequacies. It highlighted the need to have Christ in us, the hope of glory. It was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. In 2 Corinthians, another translation, it says, the old way, trying to be saved by keeping the Ten Commandments, ends in death. In the new way, the Holy Spirit gives them life. And so we're on this planet to highlight to God's wonderful, miraculous power in the natural realm, but flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom. And we can be amazed. We can hold a little bundle of life. And sometimes you see them much, much smaller, and you're amazed at them. One pound, just this long sometimes. Legs about as thick as that, and little feet that long. And if you could see the toes... You could count them, and they're all there. And little toenails, and little mouths, and little eyelashes, little bits of hair. It's amazing, isn't it? All these working parts. And in the inside, there's a little kidney functioning there, and a pancreas pumping out insulin. And all the other little bits and pieces, and all the little neurons trying to work it all out. What am I doing? Yesterday was comfortable. Today they're knocking me around and giving me baths and doing this to me and so on. What goes through the little brains, I don't know. But there is life on the table. Amazing. Some of us have been in a more unfortunate situation. I've been, unfortunately, in a position where the life was taken away. And I've seen them on the table, even children, tragically, when breathing stops. You can weigh the body. You can chemically analyze the body. You can do what you like. But something's missing. God is missing.
his power is missing. And we won't live forever unless God's in our life. We will unfortunately be just an object. And eventually that object returns to the dust from whence it came. And the dust is no better than you and I and vice versa. The difference is, of course, God. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles if God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto thee, Truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We were born miraculously the first time. We broke forth our mother's womb and uh, we uh, took in a breath and the lungs started functioning and someone listened through the door. It's crying. Maybe we were there. Maybe we heard it ourselves right uh, next to it. Whatever the case may be, the processes are there. The waters are broken. The, the lungs take in the breath of life and there's a cry made, I've arrived. Everybody, take note, I'm here to stay. And that cry drives you crazy for years. <laughs> Is it not surprising, surely not surprising, to recognise that God would use the same example that's why he said to Nicodemus don't marvel you must be born again don't marvel that change is necessary and don't marvel I'm using a terminology that you're familiar with we've all seen the miracle of life some have been involved when their their kittens had seven uh, sorry their cats had seven kittens or their dogs had seven puppies or whatever and they've seen the miracle of life that's all a bit gooey for me but but for other people they seem to like getting involved in these things it's a miracle little puppies that big cute little things that grow into great danes that rip your heads off the miracle of life, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Mind-boggling concept. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There must be the miracle of life, Jesus said. You are, Nicodemus, the product of my miracle, natural life. You are a ruler of the Jews. You only got there because I inbreathed into you at some point in time when you were born the miracle of life. But I say unto you, that's for this realm. And if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap of the flesh. And flesh and blood will not inherit the next realm. You can't be part of my kingdom. My kingdom is not flesh and blood. Oh, it's life, but it's not restricted by flesh and blood. I'm giving you a taste of my realm, even in natural life. But I want to give you even a greater taste. I want you to be born again of water. I want you to be baptized in water. Break forth from the water, as it were. I want you to, to breathe out a hallelujah or two and take in the breath of life, my spirit, and you'll set forth a new cry. You'll speak in tongues. The parallel is obvious. You were brought forth of your mother's womb initially, and it's a miracle. And you're brought forth of God's womb, as it were, the second time round, and that's a miracle. And you let the world know that you are arriving as you spoke in tongues. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You can't come into this world 
unless you're born of your mother's womb. You wouldn't have thought so, judging by the lack of hands that went up early in the piece, but uh, some thought perhaps cauliflowers or whatever, or cabbage trees or something. Uh, but the processes are God-given and miraculous. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. You ponder that, Nicodemus, he said. You think about the miracle of it all. You think about what was achieved on that day. He himself perhaps was extolling his own virtues in a roundabout way. Why know who you are, Jesus? You know who I am. If you don't, I'm going to tell you a thing or two. I'm a ruler of the Jews. I've got people under me. I've got recognition. I know the Bible of the Old Testament. I'm a man of good report and so on. And Jesus said, yes, all right, in the flesh, Nicodemus, uh, we recognize your capabilities, but that which is born of the flesh is still flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not, I say unto thee, you must be born again. The wind, the spirit breathes where he chooses, and you hear the voice thereof, but you cannot tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. And so it is uh, in our natural birth. Uh, it's a common ingredient for all mankind. And so it is in the spirit, our new birth our recreation, our born-again-from-above experience is a total agreement and common experience with all of us. All of us have got to be baptized in water. All of us have got to take in the breath of life, God's Spirit, and all of us will speak in tongues. Otherwise, you're not brought forth from above. God has not given you life through His Son by His Spirit. Let's go to uh, Acts chapter 10, a couple of basic sets of scriptures here. I know there are a number of newer ones here and we'd like you to read some of these things along with us. There was a certain man, this is chapter 10 and verse 1, we read these fairly often but uh, hallelujah. Good to get the baby photographs out every now and again, isn't it, really? There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. A devout man, one that feared God with all his house, which gave much harm to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, this man has uh, had quite a few things happening to him. And uh, as far as the world is concerned, have some qualities perhaps which... Uh, well, others would admire and believe uh, would uh, entitle him to go to heaven. But you see, flesh and blood things don't entitle you to go to heaven. Keeping the Ten Commandments, having a just report, if you read in verse 22 of this same chapter. And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one that feared God and of good report. And down in verse 30, four days ago I was fasting. So this man did a lot of things in the flesh. This man uh, gave a good impression in the flesh. But in the flesh you cannot please God. So whatever he did, whatever he achieved, whatever recognition he got, whatever presentation he gave to other people, he still was missing the necessary ingredient, the gift of eternal life, the gift of God's spirit. No spirit and we, as we hear, are dead meat. 
I shouldn't use that terminology, should I? But I think I heard that on TV the other day. Um, Going back to verse 3, he saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him, saying unto him, Cornelius. By the way, did I tell you the story about uh, uh, Paul Keating getting saved from drowning? Have I mentioned that? I did somewhere or other. Oh, what happened was apparently Paul Keating went to Manly Beach and uh, he was swimming away there and he, the current took him out and further out and further out and he was, in, he was done for. And uh, three burly lifesavers uh, jumped in, uh, into the water and swam right out and grabbed him and dragged him in and put him on uh, the beach and mouth to mouth, brought him back and so on, and opened his eyes. He saw these three burly lifesavers and he realised he'd uh, obviously been saved from death. And he said to the first lifesaver, look, I, I can't repay you enough. Uh, what, what, what could I do for you? And the guy said, look, uh, I'd like a Mercedes Benz. And he said, well, fair enough, I'll get you a Mercedes Benz uh, first thing next Monday. And he said, the next life, so what would you like? And he said, I'd like, uh, I'd like uh, a motorboat uh, with a trailer as well, high-powered stuff. He said, no problems, next Monday you'll have the lot there as well for you. He said to the third guy, what would you like? He said, uh, I'd like an all-expenses-paid funeral. He said, what? All-expenses-paid funeral? Why would you want that? He said, look, when I go home and Dad says, what happened today? And I tell him... <laughs> I don't think I need to finish it, do I, really? <laughs> anyway, it'd be dead meat. Um, Acts chapter 10 we were reading. Um, anyway, this man saw a vision. Now, this man was genuine and he was sincere, but genuineness and sincerity doesn't save anybody. It doesn't give you a new birth. You can't just genuinely stand there and say, well, I'm genuine, therefore I'm born again, any more than someone can do that in their natural birth. There are processes. There's got to be some action. God's got to move into the scene. God's got to perform a miracle. God's got to come into your very essence with the spark of life, with the mystery of the universe, and do something to you. Well, this man was uh, sincere, and because of that, God certainly um, uh, moved to some mountains here to get to him. And uh, when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine arms that come up for a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa, and call for one Simon Peter, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with another Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. He was told. He didn't argue. He didn't stand on his own dignity and so on and say, well, who do they think they are challenging me? I've got this, I've done this, I've been here, I've achieved that and so on. As far as I'm concerned, I'm a good Christian person. If anybody's going to heaven, I certainly am. If I'm not, no one is. God's lucky he's got me. I'll get a very preeminent position in the heavenly realm. He could have gone on and bragged and, uh, and so on about his standing, but he did what he was told. He sent for men to go to Joppa and to get Peter. Why? Let's go to chapter 11. These are now the words of Peter describing the incident to his own friends later. Verse 13. 
And he showed us, that's Cornelius, how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, we read this, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. Cornelius and all his house was not saved. He was not saved by being devout. He was not saved by being an almsgiver. He was not saved by being a, a prayer. He was not saved by being a faster. He was not saved uh, by being of good report and a just person in his community. They didn't save him. You can't get saved that way. You've got to be saved by getting the breath of life into you. You've got to have God perform a miracle. And all the people said, if we could do it, then where is God? And if we don't need God, what's it all about? How dare we stand up and say, well, God, I'm devout. Whoopee. I've given arms to people. Well, they don't want your arms. But two arms of their own. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Back to chapter 10. In the meantime, Peter got his own vision and Peter was told, well, when they come to your house, go with them. You might think, well, why wouldn't he go with them? Of course, he was a, of the Jewish stock and, uh, and Cornelius was the Gentile household and uh, uh, Peter was a little bit cautious about that and uh, God knew that and so he instigated another miracle to make sure this miracle of life would really uh, be in evidence. And so eventually they came to Peter's house and Peter went with them and in verse 33 of chapter 10, he knocks on the door he goes inside and uh, Cornelius sits him down on his log or rock or whatever and says, Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done, that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. And in verse 44, While Peter yet spoke these words, Whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved, the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, God's breath of life, the animator fell on all of them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, the Jewish people which believed were astonished. They were witnesses to new birth. They were astonished. It was a miracle. It was an amazing thing that was taking place. This is better than your birth or mine. This is far more miraculous uh, uh, than in the uh, particular operating theater in a, in a maternity hospital or whatever. That's exciting. That's thrilling as you become a parent or whatever and you recognize this is of you and, uh, and you're thrilled to be part of it and, and sudden, suddenly paternal instincts arise, at least in some, maternal instincts are all there and goo goo and you start talking stupid language to it and so on. Oh, oh how are you? All this sort of talk. We all get caught up with it, don't we? Well, some do anyway. But how much more exciting is it to get caught up with someone who's receiving the Holy Spirit? Hands up those apart from yourself who've been with somebody who's received the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you were right there that moment. Keep your hand up if you thought it was pretty exciting at the time. Yeah. Maybe, it's, maybe if you haven't had your hand up at that moment, you might find a way to get next to somebody who receives the Holy Spirit. Maybe you might ask your area leader, can I go out when you have some prayer with somebody? I'd like to be with you when they receive that. I'd like to witness the new birth. I'd like to hear someone cry forth in the new tongue. I'd like to experience for myself somebody having the breath of life come into them. We don't know where it comes from and whence it goeth. You can't operate, but inside you today, those who are spirit-filled, is that power 
that miraculous experience that'll take you through for everness. It's available. While Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Ghost and all of them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision were, which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. We could translate that the gift of life, eternal life. How do they know that? For they heard them speak with tongues. The cry of new life came forth. How dare the critics challenge us? How dare they argue and debate, oh, tongues is not for today. Oh, I see. Therefore, the cry of the newborn baby is not for today either. Oh, put an elastoplast over their mouth. Shut them up, the little brats. <laughs> it's the most thrilling noise you can hear for a new mother or a new father or a new whatever just to hear the baby cry and all is well. Hallelujah. How dare the critics make all their statements about what tongues is or isn't, how it's not necessary, how it's meaningless and so on, how it's a sort of singing but neither is comprehensible, and all the ridiculous stuff they come out with. Statements after statements of people who have never witnessed, never experienced, never thrilled by the joy of new birth, never had it themselves, they're dead. And they've been living with the dead. And they've never been part of life. And they're just protons and neutrons and electrons. They're no better than the chairs they sit on. Or the floors they kneel on in their hypocrisy and stupidity. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Yes, when someone speaks in tongues, that magnifies God. It eulogizes, it extols the virtue. This person speaking in tongues suddenly now is a living testimony of God is life. And all the people said, speaking in tongues is a testimony to the world that God is life and he's coming into people and in breathing his life into them. And if they don't have the life of the Son of God, there is no life in them. Can any man forbid water that he should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we, and he commanded them to be baptized? The ingredients are all there, of course. Praise the Lord. Chapter 11. Remember we read there about verse 14, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them as on us at the beginning, day of Pentecost, 120 or so, plus 3,000 later, all filled the Holy Spirit, new life, great big litter on that day, all coming forth of God, all being brought uh, into light, uh, into the, the glorious liberty of the sons of God, translated into the power of His Spirit, speaking in tongues, 3,000 of them. Wow, you wouldn't have heard the tractors those, that day. Who cares what they were doing out there? 3,000 people rejoicing in the Spirit. And it's not important. It doesn't matter. It's not for today. It's only a second blessing. God doesn't really want it. How stupid. As I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as I was at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed, that's John the Baptist indeed, baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Baptized, immersed, thoroughly saturated with God's life. 
For as much then as God gave them the equal gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and they glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. The Amplified says, Granted to the Gentiles repentance unto real life after resurrection. Another translation says, God has given to the Gentiles too the privilege of turning to him and receiving eternal life. Well, folk, if you haven't been born again today, you must be born again. And God is giving you the privilege today to turn to him. You were a miracle when you were born. And your mummy and daddy thought you were the greatest little thing on earth. Well, we hope so at that particular time. And maybe if they're alive, they still think that. Maybe in your turn now, you think that about your children or your grandchildren. Or maybe you've got great-grandchildren. Or maybe you've got great-great-great-grandchildren. And they're all lovely little dears. And they always are in their bassinet. It's only later when they climb out they start trouble. But they're still yours. And you are now God's. In the beginning, the Bible says that we're of our father devil for the sort of things that he was embroiled in, we were embroiled in. We were, were liars and deceivers. We were cheats and robbers. We were murderers. We were destroying one another. We're consumers. And now we're born again of our father and we're different people now. We are his offspring. We are the children now of obedience as distinct from the children of disobedience. We are the children of hope and glory as to, compared to the children of wrath and no future at all. So our Heavenly Father, it must be an exciting moment for him. It's a bit hard to compare, but for those of us who have been who are fathers, then no doubt uh, when you see the little child there and you perhaps weren't always anticipating this was going to happen to you, but it's happened and, and, and you sort of get embroiled in all of this, just imagine what our Heavenly Father must be like. I can only just try and put human emotions there where they're not quite like that, of course. But you can imagine when some person comes out like today, goes to the changing room, could you imagine the, the air of expectancy in the heavenly realm? Oh, they're going up to the changing room. Oh, look at that, the changing room. Good. Getting changed now. This is the angels talking. I don't know what language they're talking, but uh, it's a lady. She's sitting in the baptismal tank now. Oh, she's received. <laughs> the heavens would catch a light again. Another one who's received. Am I overemphasizing this? I don't think so. I don't think so. I believe the universe was made for that moment. And all the people said, I believe that when you and I come up these steps or wherever down here or in Melbourne in my case or in your lounge room or in the car or whatever, the heavens were made for that moment. It was new birth, a new creation. The spiritual creature was being animated. Your soul was coming to life. The power of God that created all of this was coming to dwell an individual person. I believe everything was made for that moment. Oh, there's a future beyond that, but that's the start. You can't, uh, you can't run a marathon unless you're born first. You can't do anything unless you're born first. And you can't be a Christian. You can't be God's one. You can't be a child of a heavenly father unless you're born first of his spirit, brought forth of his 
by the will and purpose of God, not born of a woman, we read in John 1, but by the will of God. So he gave us repentance under life. We've got to conclude some. I've gone over time. Where will we go? Colossians, will we go there? Colossians chapter 3. Have a sticky beak over here first. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 1, if ye then being risen with Christ, seek those things, desire those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. That's where we're born from. That's our realm, of course. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear then shall you also appear with him in glory he is our life he's our very existence when jesus christ comes back we will do away with the flesh and blood that limits us today and we're going to accelerate into his kingdom and be totally united with that which is life and therefore we'll never be separated from life we'll be life itself we'll be clothed with immortality we'll be clothed with incorruption we won't have the things that wear away. We won't have the things that wear out. We won't have the things that creak and groan. We won't have sore muscles. We won't have ligaments that get out of joint. We won't have bones that break. We won't have hair that falls out. We won't have pimples that pop out. We won't have any of those things. We'll just be one glorious creature united with God. Oh, some or other will have separate entities. I don't understand at all. Hallelujah. I'm waiting for the moment. We're waiting for the new phase. As it were, in one sense, we're going through another embryonic stage, even today. The heavens and the earth are going through an embryonic stage. We're waiting for the sudden breaking forth. We're waiting for the new era. We're waiting for the new realm where all is life, all is peace, all is harmony, all is righteousness, all is glory, all is splendor. Meantime, it says, look up, your redemption draweth nigh. Just one last scripture, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 1, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. 
And even though we look in the mirror and we're marveled by it, even though we look at a number of different statements about our human bodies and all the capacities, even though we see all sorts of nature films and, uh, and videos and so on, even though we fossick around the garden, we cultivate our own peas or beans or cabbages or whatever, or roses or, or whatever the things that we're just surrounded by, we go fishing or we go scuba diving and we see whether in the, the heavens above or in the seas beneath or in the earth below or whatever or surrounding us or next to you there's miracles everywhere it's exciting it keeps us in touch it lets us all know that the there's fools out there have invented different theories and different ideas but we know better in the beginning god created outside of god there is no creation outside of god there is no life outside of god there is no you and i there's no existence there's no very being there's nothing we can have and so we're surrounded by constant miracles. Hallelujah, on a Sunday or one other day of the week, we come together and we're surrounded by something far more exciting than just natural miracles. Or you might be thrilled by the person sitting next to you. Maybe you had a fight, perhaps, just before you came in today. Isn't that sad? Some do. But regardless, there's a miracle sitting next to you, but not just the miracle of a natural body, the miracle of new birth right next to you. And right inside you, you have the hope of glory. It's pretty good stuff, isn't it? If only our natural neurons, no matter how many millions have we got of them, could just comprehend some insight into those things. There's a day coming soon and you can take off your coat and the first layer of skin and the second and third and you can dispense with the lot. Won't it be exciting? Because sometimes you come here and you might have a little tummy ache or something like that or your ingrown toenails playing up or... You looked in the mirror and you thought, oh my goodness, it's coming out in chunks now. What's happened to me? And those wrinkles, they were not there this morning. I've aged overnight. I won't mention her name, but some lady said to me, she woke up one morning, looked in the mirror and she said, oh, I can't go anywhere looking like that today. She went back to bed. <laughs> it happens. Won't it be glorious, one glorious morning to wake up in the mirror and just radiate Christ? Life, the mystery. The mystery has been revealed to you and I. We have life in us now. And all the people said.